everybody to this brand new podcast, It's a Crazy Life. My name's Sarah and I'm just a crazy lady on a mission to motivate, educate and inspire you on your very own journey to become the best version of yourself. Welcome back everybody to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. As always, my name is Sarah and I will be your host. Today we have an awesome show. I am interviewing the incredible Jennifer Ball of Lone Wolf PT. Jen is in fact my own PT and has been integral to my recovery and my journey to becoming my best self. Jen is the PT that I told you about where I kind of swapped my counsellor for a PT. (laughs) So today is a very special show and I hope you enjoy it. So let's get on and join Jen and hear what she has to say about exercise and the benefits to our mental health. We will also hear her truly remarkable story where the doctors told her that she may never walk after the age of 30 and how she proved them all wrong. I can't wait for you guys to hear this, so let's jump on in. So, Jennifer Ball, welcome to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. I'm so buzzing to have you here. Jen, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Very excited. Yes, excellent, excellent news. Jen, it's no secret, I told everybody a couple of weeks ago just how motivational and inspirational you are in my life. So I wanted to bring you on, especially, I've been like dying for this day, to bring you on so I can you can give the listeners a piece of the, the ass-kicking you give me. <laughs> I see what I can do, but what you hear is exactly what I'm like in real life. Love it. I love it. (laughs) There's some real raw shit on this podcast. (laughs) You're right. Okay, so Jen, first and foremost, you have got a huge story. So tell us, how did it all start for you and why have you taken your chosen career as a PT? Okay, so as a kid, uh, I was always involved in sports teams. So that was both individual and within team aspect. And I really enjoyed both aspects for different reasons. So I'd do netball, rounders, cross country, basketball, badminton, shot put, 800 meters. They were pretty much the sports that I really enjoyed in school. Outside of school, my parents always wanted extracurricular activities. So push yourself that little bit more. And I've got two older sisters who did dancing. So for ease, my mother would bring all three of us, which makes sense. You've got control of all of your three kids in one place. Unfortunately, I was very good as a young kid, like two, (laughs) like four. Uh, And for me, I then started to lose interest in it and couldn't see the benefits at that time. Now I'm older and I've taken up the martial art of Aikido. Now I understand that that dancing is now coming into practice now and now I thoroughly enjoy it. So what seemed to be a burden as a child has actually turned into a great thing as I'm older and I can't be more appreciative of my mother doing that and my sisters as well being great role models. So I always wanted to be a PE teacher. Whenever I was in school and people said, what, what, what do you want to do as a career? I want to be a PE teacher. Unfortunately, wasn't my path until a lot later in life. Okay. Why wasn't that your path then? Why? What happened? So the story, big, it's wordy, it's medical. I'll start at the beginning. Yes. My career in coaching um for others came when I was really young uh, as I've just said in really enjoyed PE at school um I was blessed to have some really inspirational teachers that now I realize have become were idols for me as a, as a young child people who I really looked up to people who I respected they talked to me like I was a an adult not a teenager but unfortunately my childhood and early adulthood was hindered with severe knee injuries, uh, which meant that it wasn't a sensible choice uh, to pursue that as a career. So at 15, I developed Osgood Schlatter's disease, which is a knee condition that causes consistent pain and swelling below the knee joint. 
So I would always have a constant pain. It would regularly inflame and my walking would become impaired. So I would walk favoring my left side over my right. And I learned from 15 how to deal with consistent pain. Through my late teens, I still competed in sport. I didn't let it stop me. Uh, I developed what's called Plica syndrome. Right. Plica syndrome prevents normal functioning of the knee bending. There's a web of like cartilage that basically goes in between the knee joints, which when you bend your knee, you will get a click in. You can feel it hitting a web. And every time you would feel that. Um, and at that point, we started to look into cortisone injections to try and relieve my pain. So I think I remember physically going in for two to three big, big injections. And we're talking three big doses into, into that knee joint. Uh, while I was kind of recovering from that, my orthopedic team created some bespoke knee braces. So I've got an extremely tiny patella. So my kneecap is very small. So they needed to create structure to try and straighten it as I was growing up. So I was still growing. So we tried to manipulate it back into place that way. Now, these knee braces are very bulky. They're, hot, they're heavy and, and they're really warm. But, you know, it, I didn't care because it relieved the pain and I could still do what I wanted to do as a child, which was great. In my early 20s, uh, I had two keyhole surgeries to remove supernova plicas. What? So the original, <laughs> the element that created the web that I spoke about was basically a plica, which is a, a lump of unwanted, I think it's cartilage, don't quote me. And these little nodules within the knee, basically you could feel them all the time. So I had keyhole surgery. They would put the camera into the knee. There'd be a medical device that had like a suction saw that would circular vacuum up the horrible bolus of grossness and would remove the plica and then they seal it so that it doesn't hopefully grow back again. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. So I had to have it again twice. And then I had a, the, the supernova, which was the big one. Right. So once we'd removed the supernova plicas, we really needed to work on my upper body strength. So I was really starting to struggle to walk at this point. I needed to use crutches and a walking stick. And the balance of my body was wrong. Obviously, I was, a, I was a little bit heavier. So I had to lose a little bit of weight so that there wasn't so much weight on my knee. And it was hard through my 20s to basically go to university, use crutches, use a walking stick. You can imagine going to a, a nightclub with a walking stick. I can't drink because I'm on so many pain relieving pills. Your paranoia is there. You're, you feel like people are looking at you. Yeah. So probably for the first three months, I would never go to the toilet in oh. a nightclub. So until my confidence grew, yeah. um, then it got better. And I had really good friends through university that really support me through that. So I was really lucky. We noticed in probably my yeah like mid-teens that when I was laid down, my right foot would drop outwards to the side massively, which is obviously a concern. Uh, so that started to majorly affect my pain levels within the knee. And it got to a point where we just needed major surgery to rectify the rotation in the lower half of my leg before it got too severe, yeah. that it started going into my hip and then I'd tur it turned into my spine and my posture would become appalling. So then luckily, um, my parents had some private medical insurance and I was able to get a tibial derotational osteotomy uh, wow. completed, uh, which is a rotation of the tibia. So in the lower leg, just one of the bones of the two. So we cut it, we put titanium plate and seven pins in and 
the bone then healed I then started to learn how to you know walk again you know because obviously my body understands the path of how I should walk with a dodgy knee now I have to remap and rethink that and reprogram it to work again and it was in my recovery when I thought the time is now so I knew I always wanted to be a PE teacher I was happy in my career. I was happy doing, I was in IT at the time, very happy, competent at it, nice, happy. But in the back of my mind, I always knew I wanted to be a PE teacher. So I went and took an anatomy and physiology diploma online just to see what, what my skill set was. Have I got the ability? Can I remember, you know, biology from school and things like that? And I passed. Oh, but more importantly, I loved studying. Yeah. That was where my passion grew. So I continued and I took my level two and my level three personal training all whilst I'm recovering. That really helped me recover. Okay. So during that recovery, I started reprogramming my mind to walk correctly. After about six months, I started to learn to box because I wanted, I knew I had my upper body strength because that my upper body, I'd always work on my upper body because I was so scared of my lower body. So I did upper body. And then obviously it was very noticeable that my right leg was, had muscle atrophy. So weakness within the muscle. So I learned how to box. Skipping really helped. Being in a boxing stance really helped. Moving really helped. So then I started to think, okay, I've got my level two. I've got my level three. I like boxing. How about coaching? Luckily, I had a lovely female coach, head coach, uh, Sarah Lee, and she approached me and said, would you like to try becoming a coach yes 100 percent. yes yes yeah. yes get me on the freaking course um that was pretty much where it all began and that's where it all came from amazing so i, I just want to go back a little bit you, you said there about being in uni and having a walking stick and you would go so what was your state of mind going through that my state of mind at that point was to get my Bachelor of Science. Right. I wanted that. I, I always wanted a, a university degree. Again, probably coming from the fact my two sisters did exactly the same. Um, I love and respect both of them massively. And I think nothing can stop me if I got through that surgery and came out stronger. So it was more the outcome that would drive me to get to the the outcome that I wanted yeah and and was there times throughout that you were thinking this is never going to happen for me I'm never going to be able to do this yeah it was years and years and years you know I um I met my other half in my first year of university and for at least the first three years I would tell him to leave me really he could do better off with someone who was more able-bodied he could do much I didn't know if I was going to recover or not really? and I had a lovely gentleman I didn't want to string him along but that guy stood by me through the hardest time of not just my life I think it was really hard for my parents right seeing their youngest kid be disabled and in pain you know I I lived at home at that point and that must have been really hard for them. And I can respect that. Yeah. And again, it, I didn't want them to be in pain. So I wanted to recover. Right. So you've got all these driving forces behind you. It's not just that desire to be a PE teacher. There was the people who were supporting you as well. 100%. It's amazing. It really is. Like, because you honestly, if, if anybody met you, they'd never know because you are just on it every day you're working out, every day. You, you know, you're, you're trying to improve yourself. And I suppose, does, does that come from there? Does that come from that determination? Yeah, I'd definitely say so. It was a massive hurdle to have at 15. Yeah. You know, to, to push and want, when you want to be part of teams and you want 
to do these extracurricular activities, nothing was going to stop me. And that's always been my mindset. I, things can hold me back, but I just see it as a hurdle and I can overcome it. You can overcome anything. For me, sat in a chair recovering for over a year, it gives you a lot of time to think. Really? And I wasn't going to wallow in my own black pit of hell. I was going to come out of that. Yeah. And show everyone that it doesn't matter how long it takes me to recover. It took me two years. That's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to show everyone that had given me love, support, positivity that I've done it. And I've done it not just for me, but I've done it to say thank you to you guys. Wow. So like you just mentioned there, you were, you were not going to wallow. But I suppose there must have been times where you thought, why me? Why is this happening to me? This isn't fair. What have I done? So how do you spin that around? I kind of didn't think that. Okay. Wow. I thought it as I'd done it to myself. What? Because okay. I, was so, I was so obsessed with sport. I see. I see. All I wanted to do, that was, that was what I loved doing. Yeah, yeah. That was my joy. That's what gave me passion. It's just as I was growing up, I suppose what I didn't realise was I was still growing. Bones, ligaments, muscles were all changing and I didn't keep a close enough eye on it. Really? You know? So I do take it as a, it was a a self thing. I don't think, oh God, why me? There were times in recovery where I thought, you know, oh, I can't go out and do this because I've my knees swollen, I can't walk or I can't go out with my friends, but I never missed out on it. No. Because I kind of knew no different. I see, I see. Yeah, you hear that, don't you? It's like, it's like people who are blind, they've never seen before. They don't feel any different because it's always the way they've been, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, the doctors said to me, I think after my second keyhole surgery, quite likely you're not going to be able to walk at 30. Wow. And what did that do? That was a, right, screw you. I (laughs) will be able to. I love it when doctors and specialists say, hmm, you might not. Don't give me the word might. If you give me might, I will make sure that I do it. No matter how long it takes me. This is it. I mean, Jen, like you are a beacon of inspiration and motivation for me. And one thing I absolutely love about you is your discipline. So tell me and the listeners, how do you remain so disciplined? What, what is it that drives you? Really, really interesting question. And <laughs> when you gave me this question, I went through a, a hell of a lot of thinking. I'd never thought of it like this. So Thank you for asking me the question. I think it brought a lot of of clearance into my life. So thank you. I am a person who enjoys structure and I know no different. It's part of my human makeup and I love it. Yeah. For me, it's a mindset. And the amount of times I've told you this, I've told my clients is insane. It's your own mental strength that's going to get you to do something. So overall, I think my overall discipline comes mainly from my upbringing. Um, Being involved in sports as a kid, there were rules in place, you know, for everyone's safety, and I respected that. I grew up with two older sisters, both doing extracurriculum, not just dancing, they had their own other stuff that they would do. So I'd always see them focus, they're studying, the way they studied was was beautiful to watch the processes that they would go through, the support my mother would give them. And none of it could have been done without unconditional love from my, from my mother. My mom and dad both gave us all structure um, and understanding. So I always uh, make sure we went to the dance classes. We never did not compete. We always took our education seriously. My own self-discipline, developed through ensuring that I did my physio. Okay. I knew how much, if I didn't do my physio, I wouldn't get better. And I wouldn't have seen any progression. That, that would have sucked. So I think the other thing 
while I was recovering, like I've said, I wanted to prove and show both my mom, dad, my family, my other half, an amazing group of friends that had my back through the whole of it, that their support wasn't wasted, that it would push me to heal stronger than ever before. And then that became my mindset and it's stuck and it stayed and it doesn't waver. So it's kind of like your why, that was your why for doing it. And that was what drove you on. Yeah, you, I say to my own clients that your goals that you set should be emotion based. Right. So, oh, I want to lose weight. Well, why do you want to lose weight? I want to be able to play football with my four-year-old child for 30 minutes. Yeah. That is your emotional connection to your goal. If you have an emotional connection to your goal and you truly understand what that goal is and why, then you will get up. You will do it. If you just say, oh, I just want to lose weight. I just want to look good in the top. Well, why do you want to look good in that top? Because it helps your confidence. It helps your self-esteem. You can raise your chin up high. There's more to goal setting than I want to lose weight. Yeah, definitely. Because I think people like, you know, I've done it on all these fad diets many years ago before you were in my life. And you're thinking, well, I just want to, you know, just look good. And you don't stick at it because there's no emotional push behind it. There's no purpose to it. Yeah, there's no, you, you won't get up and, you won't get up when it's a rainy day and it's a bit dark outside. You will if it's for your four-year-old child. Yeah, exactly that. Massive um, takeaway there for, for everybody. We've just had a massive upheaval for the last 18 months and I've been with you on this journey. I've watched, watched you grow and develop. <laughs> you know, while things are falling apart, Jen's risen to the top. So tell us, how have you managed to stay so focused and driven the whole time? So, as you already know, I'm ridiculously disciplined. Yeah. Organised. My calendar has blocks and it's all blocked out. Okay, you know this, how, how structured I am. If I don't complete a task, I move it to another day and it still gets completed. Okay, I don't just, oh, I'm not doing it. My business is my life. I am very blessed that my background is in technology. So the minute I heard about lockdowns, my brain was already ticking. How am I going to be able to facilitate my business in a manner that would keep them active, mainly for a mental health reason, which we'll explore probably later. So I said on day one, I got a massive message out to everyone. I think it, the announcement was at five. I think my announcement was out by six. I was really blessed that 80% of my client base did choose to stay with fitness through all of the lockdowns, which I am very blessed with. I know that keeping my business going would be a lifesaver for majority of my clients. My client's loyalty was a huge driver. The messages that I received from people about how quick my reaction was and how organized it was, I knew I'd done exactly the right thing. So yeah, I knew that mentally they were going to need someone to voice off to as well. So it wasn't just physical, it was mental health as well. Unfortunately, I, um, I lost my uncle to COVID. He was a massive role model. He was a massive role model for me and always wanted me uh, to be the best person I could be and to help others. He always pushed that. And he always wanted me to learn and he always wanted me to give everything that I could give. And that's exactly what I did. I actually remember the phone call that I got um, from my mum getting that news in lockdown. And the client that I was with, she saw me break. Yeah. I'm human. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I am a human being. You may think I'm a cyborg, but I'm <laughs> a genuine human. I have my own emotions. But what I do do is able to put them to one side, deal with my clients. So we actually carried on the session. We got it done. 
And then I spoke with my mother after and dealt with my emotions then. And then I carried on with my evening clients because ultimately I know that is what my uncle would have wanted. It gives me the strength. And also I think it gave the clients, especially on that evening when it happened, if she can do it in that state and still do her job, I can exercise for her. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that my uncle was a massive carrier through the whole of the lockdowns. And then I think the final aspect was I wanted to prove to myself that my business would survive. I was, you know, I'm only, I was only in year three. Yeah, I was in year three of my business. Um, and my parents, pff, I've got a Chinese background. So um, they always brought me up to be mindful of my own money situation. And I felt completely in control. I knew financially I was, I was going to be okay. I knew that my business wouldn't buckle and fail and that I wouldn't let down my client base. So I was very, very lucky. And I don't take any of those lessons learned from my parents as I don't take them for granted. Yeah. And again, it's a mindset. Yeah, definitely. Put yourself into it, practice it, always try and be stronger, but deal with your emotions. It, it, it's bonkers, isn't it? Because it like, you know, it's funny because you are my PT and we work on muscles all the time. But I think that mindset is a muscle. And you need to keep flexing it. You need to keep working on it to build it so it becomes a natural process. So you're not trying to battle with the laziness, you know. Yeah, your brain is a muscle and it needs working. You need to make sure that you are trying to learn new skills. You want to keep an active, healthy mind. You need to stimulate it, not gossip, scrolling. It's not facebook it's not instagram getting lost in the world of falseness and then harboring i'm not good enough yeah screw that screw that sack off comparing that's a big thing isn't it and judgment comparison and judgment yeah they can all jog on <laughs> no time for any of that no but I've got to say, I, I honestly, if you hadn't have kept your business going, I can't say what have happened, what would have happened to my mental health, because every week just having that hour with you was like, all right, letting off all the endorphins and the serotonin and all that. But having you by my side and talking with you and having that bit of, you know, sort of um, support was huge, huge thing. It's great to hear, mate. Thank you. So let's get down to the old bones of mental health and exercise. Jen, please tell us, in your professional opinion, why is exercise and movement so important for our mental health? Well, first of all, all of your limbs and your brain, first and foremost, if you have two arms, two legs and a brain, you should be grateful. If you can see out of your eyes, if you can hear, if you can use your voice, you should be grateful. I had the loss of my legs for so long and I promised myself that I'd always be blessed to have limbs and that I would use them. Okay, so that's not just, that's, that's mental as well. So whenever I talk about limbs or muscles, that does include the brain. Um, a lot of people for the last 18 months have obviously been stuck at home, working from home, sitting in probably not good, desk structures at all probably sat on the sofa with the legs up on a table and the laptop on the legs and you then start to understand why muscles are tightening the overall understanding of, of covid is the, the stresses of it was insane uh, the tension in the upper body that you would just get you know was, was horrible and without exercise that was just going to get worse um, as humans, we are made to move. Yeah. Okay. And being restrictive of your own movements will do damage physically and mentally. It plays a huge role in preventing the development of mental health problems and therefore it improves the quality of my own life. 
the increased self-esteem will lead to feeling of a higher life satisfaction. You have a greater resilience. You have a greater sense of achievement because you did it. Even the small increases in your physical activity will have massive impacts of physical and mental health if maintained. Yeah. It will also enhance your quality of life. So for example, you can do exercise that isn't specific exercise, walking up and down your stairs, taking half a washing load upstairs, coming downstairs, going to take the second one. Those are called NEAT levels. NEAT levels are non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So very wordy, but people who fidget a lot will have a high NEAT level because they're constantly moving their limbs. Twitching, tapping, high step counts, trying to maintain that movement up and down. Your watch bleeps at you. You've been sat for an hour. Move. Don't just swipe and snooze. Get <laughs> hell up. Do something. It's not programmed to swipe snooze. It's okay. That's a wake up call. Bang, get up and move. You obviously, with exercise, you learn new skills that develops your cognitive function, okay? Cognitive within the brain. Personally, I see this as vital, massively vital as we grow older. Do not stop. I have a 73-year-old mother who I PT. She learns new exercises and she remembers and it helps, you know, keeping that brain going. And plus, once you master a new skill, the amount of self-pride you feel that you have practiced and that you've done it and you're aiming to master it. It enough give you serious good vibes um, knowing that you did it. Yeah. When you feel that, you're going to get better sleep and your mental health will just develop and you become stronger. It's so true. On the note of your mom, so my auntie, um, she's got type 2 diabetes and my uncle had a heart attack a couple of years ago. He was dead for 20 minutes. They, they revived him. And I haven't seen my auntie or my uncle for over 18 months. And I saw them a couple of weeks ago. And my auntie before lockdown had a kind of a shake in her right hand. And I'd say, oh, I think she's getting Parkinson's. But my auntie would go line dancing, she'd go bowling, she'd be doing Sudoku all the time, she'd be doing all of these little things. So she was on it, like, you know, her mind was there. She's 74, her mind was there. I saw her a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, she hasn't been able to go out and do her thing. She's still got a Sudoku and a jigsaw puzzles, but she hasn't been able to go out and socialise and, and move. And she, I would say... She's got the onset of dementia and the Parkinson, the shakes is even worse. Yeah. And she's very irritable and very angry. So it, it, it is a, a scientific fact that movement and cognitive exercises, they are so imperative for our bodies and our systems. Yeah, I think one, one little suggestion that I'll throw out there for the older generation would be to try lifting the kettle with your opposite hand. Oh, go on. They love, they love tea. Yeah. How many cups of tea do they have a day? Try with your left hand rather than your right. Learn to control it. That feels really weird. Then you've got brushing your teeth. Can you brush your teeth with your other hand? No, I've tried this. I, can't, I've, I don't feel like I cleaned them well enough. <laughs> Can you drink with your opposite hand? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's no surprise there. Um, I'm all right for drinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah just little things like that you know for the younger generation that work on computers all the time so I my background is tech and I've got arthritis in my hands and I've got um, tendonitis in my right elbow and again that was ridiculous cortisone injections to get rid of the pain because it was insane um one thing that I immediately did was train my left arm to be my mouse arm so that I would become ambidextrous so that my right hand would have been my predominant for my typing. So I forced it. I ended up getting an ergonomic keyboard so that my right hand wouldn't go over to the left part of the keyboard. So it really restricted the amount of movement that I did. But by making myself left and right really 
helped my brain function. Wow. Just a simple thing like that. You, I wouldn't have even thought of that. Yeah, you've got to think outside of the box most of the time. Yeah. And, and also, don't try and reinvent the wheel. Like, think of small little things that you can do to change that, that will have so much benefit. Yeah, rather than next time you go up the stairs, look at which leg you lead with. Ooh. When you come down the stairs, do you lead with the other leg? Try switching them around. It's habit. It's habit. It's like when you used to say to me, because my, my right side was always better than my left, and you used to say, which side do you walk the dog on? So I, I swapped and I started walking Molly with the left arm. And all of a sudden, my left side of my body came into alignment with the right. I know my right's out of whack now, but <laughs> I got there. It's, it's so mad, isn't it? Just making little changes. Which hand do you use your mobile phone with? On, on what, do, you, do you scroll with your thumb? Do you scroll with your index finger? Index finger, yeah, index finger. So if you then start getting right wrist problems, you're oh my god! Why? Oh my god! <laughs> How many hours are we on our phones? Yeah, it's you know, yeah, you can get lost in that horrible world of scrolling. Stop it! I know, I know, and I like, you know what I'm like, I don't really like social media, but the other day I was like, get off your phone. And do you know how hard it was to put it down? I was like, what? That's why I've took this week off social media because <laughs> it's getting too much. <laughs> yeah, I kind of always say to myself, when, if I do go onto it, if I scroll more than three times in a row, I'm not, I'm not involved. I'm not yeah. there. I'm not in that moment at all. Yeah. Put it down and go do something of, Go do something. <laughs> Go read or something. <laughs> Learn something. <laughs> Too true. And again, so from your professional opinion, what is the biggest excuse you hear from your clients as to why they haven't worked out? And what do you do to tackle this? This was fun. <laughs> Thought you might like it. <laughs> Not just my clients. Okay, so... I, I am self-disciplined and I do do my workouts when they're booked in. I have procrastinated before about, oh God, my session's at 11, it's in my diary. Okay, come on. I haven't got my kit ready, I'm not ready. I know at that point, it's an excuse. I am doing so there's something going on in my head and it's an excuse. So what I do. I have a requirement within myself to be positively selfish. Okay. I, I, I know that once I do that workout, I'll feel good. Yeah. But for my clients, this is the important bit. I honestly, honestly believe if you pay for a PT, you are making a huge investment in yourself and you need to realise your own money, hard-earned money that you earn and you graft for, you're giving that away to someone with knowledge who wants to educate you and wants to help. So one hour of PT session with me isn't going to change your fitness standard. It isn't. But if you increase your own daily activity your neat levels that we spoke about earlier. If you complete home workouts, if you listen and implement the nutritional advice, then I tell you what, your investment will pay off in abundance and you will learn the information and that is priceless. If you want the results, you make the time to do it. And that is simple. That's, I can't break that down anymore. If you want your results, you have to do it. I can't come and take fat off you. I can't nutritionally come into your kitchen and cook every meal for you. I cannot do that. And I will not do that. <laughs> if you want results, you will make the time. An example of this, because that can be quite brutal. I'm yeah. going to give you an example of myself. So in December, 
last year I was invited to start doing Aikido which is a martial art and two of those online sessions were at half six in the morning wow every anyone who knows me knows Jen don't wake up in the morning Jen's not a morning person and I remember speaking to my sensei who I have a masses of amount of respect for basically turned around and said if you want it you'll wake up for it. And he left me with that. that. That Friday, I was up. I attended the class and I haven't missed, I've missed one session. Wow. Since wow. Isn't that mad how that person who you've got a lot of respect for said that one little word of that one little sentence and you've gone, right, I want it. I'll be there. Yep. Mind over so, that. The main excuses I hear, I don't have time. And I respect people's lives. So I do understand between kids, commuting, work, other responsibilities, modern 24 seven lifestyle leaves us feeling like there's not enough time in the day to, to work out. And exercise gets pushed down into a, into a lower priority as you're already crammed, you know? your health should not be pushed to the bottom of the list as you would then not be able to support your family. You wouldn't be able to support your friends. You are not looking after yourself. Yeah. That is an issue. So solutions, instead of trying to find the time of working out, think about how you can make time. Some activity is better than none. My trick is I block my time out into my daily weekly schedule. And I know that for that hour, that's exactly what I'm doing. The only workout I promise you that you will ever regret is the one that you planned and you didn't turn up to. So for some people, it might be before work. For some people, it might be after work. For some, it might be in your lunch hour. Um, you need to make that time commitment, but it can be minimal. You could start with 10 minutes a day. Next week, go to 11 minutes. Next week, 12 minutes. Uh, and soon you will find that that becomes part of your schedule, part of your routine, part of your mindset, um, and it becomes a lot easier. So yeah, walk every time when you're on the phone, things like that, get up and move, you know, like as we're talking now, I could be standing and walking and moving around. I can still voice and walk at the same time. So solution one is physically make, make the time somewhere, write it down. If you write it down, you are signing yourself up for it. Solution two, you want to watch telly. Well, get up and walk on the steps then. Get up and walk. Watch, step in it, walk around your lounge, step on the spot. It doesn't matter, you know, put a mini band resistance band on, do some monster walks, do some clamshells, do some leg extensions, do some hamstring curls. All you need is someone to advise you first how to do it. You know, I understand that. And it is an investment in self. So personally, I would say go to a PT, learn the good foundations of how to move and do them then at home. I was just gonna say, like, you remember in lockdown and you set us all them challenges. I remember standing watching Emmerdale. I've got to get 3,000 steps in because I knew I wasn't going anywhere. It was a winter, I was going nowhere. Pacing, I've got to get these 3,000 steps. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right, exactly right. And then I think, you know, little challenges for a month are really good for you as well. So um, yeah, that was something that I gave to, to the tier, to the lone wolf pack. Um, through, through the lockdowns, uh, which is good, you know. As you just mentioned then, like a challenge kind of thing, um, I'd advise you to find someone in your friendship group that probably has similar goals. Yeah. You've got someone to talk to. You can say, did you, get, did you do your workout? What did you do? How did you feel? Was it easier than last week? You know? Having a little support unit is, is important. I think you'll remember in your consultation that um, I asked who was your support group. Yeah. Um, 
when you're trying to take on a goal, you, you do need your home to be behind you. You know, you need your friends to be behind you. Um, and just being really honest with them, you know, that's, so I'd buddy up with someone, buddy up with someone and have a, have a little chat. Um, I think those are my kind of four solutions for, uh, I have no time, excuse. <laughs> you're so right though, aren't you? And what you're saying, like there's a saying, you can't pour, pour from an empty cup and you honestly can't, if you're not fired up, if you're not whole, then how can you support your family and your friends and do your work, whatever that may be? You've to got 100%, to 100%, you could still do it, but you're probably giving them 20% of what you could give. Yeah. And who, who, you know, who doesn't want better relationships and better life? Great. So what then advice would you give to people who may not be very active at the moment, but they want to start exercising for their mental health? What should they do? First, I say high five. Yeah. You're already thinking about it. You're already thinking about becoming active. It's already in your mind. High five to that. I'd say start today. Yes. Reason being, if you try to be 1% better today, in a hundred days, you're a hundred percent better. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Simple. Simple. Yeah. All you can do is try, you know, if you don't even try, then nothing's going to change. No. Make your exercise habitual with a proviso of watch out for overtraining. Yes. Because you will feel really good. Yes. And you'll think, yeah, I can do a session Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, no. Your <laughs> body needs to rest and recover. What happens if you then overtrain is you then develop an unhealthy obsession. Right. Exercise. That is not a positive way of using exercise. You are then hooking onto something else and it's becoming addictive. Exactly what I did. <laughs> what you need to do is structure it so it so it so it works so you know start by doing 10-15 minutes by making sure you work walk 30 minutes a day no matter the weather a bit of rain isn't gonna kill you never heard of a rain jacket <laughs> you're not just helping your mental state you're helping your overall overall biological fitness I don't I struggle to understand why people do not want that Oh, that could be a self thing personally, but I honestly, I am so lucky to be alive that yeah. I, I, want, I, want, I want to be around for a while. Start increasing your neat levels, you know, so use it using the stairs, not a lift. If you go to the supermarket, park further away, so you have to push that trolley a little bit further. Uh, split your clothes washing into two, take his up, then take yours, then maybe kid one maybe kid two and maybe kid three yeah you know it it all helps start by increasing your water intake you've spoke about this previously um it really helps the mind and the body stay in a good state make sure that you're eating whole foods nutritionally calorie dense foods that you know make you feel full everybody knows i love cake yeah. i love i love crisps i'm human so the way that I work, my nutritional choice is 80%, 20%. Right. 80% whole foods, allow myself 20% because if I don't have that 20%, it creates a red button syndrome. Right. And the red button syndrome flashes and then I go and just eat. And that's <laughs> eat a 12 really, pack. And <laughs> that's not good for me. Self-drive, I think that's really important. Why would you not want to feel good about yourself? why would you not want that for yourself yeah um i think that for your mental health you're gonna get something out of exercise like i can't i don't think i can give you give you anything else than the simple bare bones of do something yeah yeah and if you don't know what to do if you have a good pt they will talk you through the right methods. For example, if I do a consultation with someone and I don't believe they're in a state to be able to do an hour session, then I won't take them on as a client. I'll send them home 
with exercises that they should be doing until they build up their stamina until they can do an hour session Ooh. yeah because there's no it's not a nice feeling if you can't complete a full session and no one either PT or client would feel that that was a good position to be in definitely I want anyone who is a client to believe in themselves know that they can do it and drive themselves that's why my business is called lone wolf yeah definitely and like when i first come to you do you remember in one of the first few weeks i said to you oh my god i thought it was going to be all running and it's going to be really hard and you were like yeah it, but it's not is it and i think that for me i was very scared of coming to a gym because i thought oh my god i've got no stamina I, I can't run i you know my breath i can't breathe i'm i'm still this kind of same now when it comes to running but like people build this picture in their head of, of how hard it's going to be but actually yeah it is difficult don't get me wrong I'm still aching today after yesterday I'm in agony <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's the it's the release that it gives you and and like just just hitting little achievements and and like having someone say wow done you know last week you couldn't do this it boosts everything agreed I think a lot of people see or believe that PTs just beast people and that's the thing to do and that you're going to be in pain for freaking days after. I do not chase DOMS. We do not chase delayed onset muscle soreness. We do not. That is not, oh yeah, I had a really good workout because I'm really hurting. Like that doesn't mean you had a good workout. Your strength progression week on week, your waist centimeters changing, that makes a difference feeling better within your clothes that makes a difference understanding that your sleep has become better that makes a difference pts need to have a better relationship with their clients on a one-to-one -one level there is no one session that i will deliver twice in the same day no never never ever have i ever done that everyone is unique everyone is bespoke and if you see a pt in a gym have a little look at what they're doing then when you see them again are they doing the same thing but with a different client i wonder if the goals are the same for that person yeah. how thoughtful how much research has that pt gone into so i have people that have ms fibrom fibromyalgia um you know, onset of like dementia, uh, people who just want range of motion, people who just want conditioning of their body, some people that just want strength training, and some people just want to come to offload. And I have no issues with any of that. A PT isn't just physical training as the PT status gives us. I like to take it as I am a coach yeah. and a coach has a 360 evaluation. It isn't the same thing churned out every time. No. Um, I get extremely angry at PTs that do that. Yeah. Because you need to take each one as an individual case. You're different to me. I'm different to the three clients that I've got this evening why would I do the same? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Come on. You know, when you're choosing your PT, you need to have this honest relationship. And if you don't, you are not going to get anywhere. So I'd say try taster, ask for a one session. If you build good rapport and you can communicate how you feel and also that the PT can educate you in a manner that works. Some of my clients would prefer to see a visual diagram. Some of them would prefer to see me do it and then copy. Right. Everyone has a different learning skill. And if you just teach one way and don't adapt to the, each individual client, what's the point? You, you're useless. Yeah, I think I said that to you before, didn't I? Because I, I said, I watched you once and I said, oh, so, so you do different things for everybody. There's no one size fits all. When you're doing personal training, no. When you're in classes, I get it, you know. But for me, Lone Wolf says it all. I like training on my own. 
I like being able to to train, you know, solely. But don't get me wrong, when the pack comes together, if there's a competition, I will work as a team. Yeah. I instill that in all my guys, you know, that that's the ethos. Definitely. You know, I will support you, you know, I will lead the pack, I will lead by example, but ultimately it's on you to do the work as well. There is no magic formula. Hell no. <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay, and on that note then, because I think you're probably the most qualified person to talk about this, but what about people who may have a disability and they can't move very well? Uh, can they still exercise? What, how should they do this for their mental health? So first and foremost, I think physical activity, legally as a personal trainer, you do need what's called a parkour form, which asks you questions on your safety of being able to perform exercise. If you have no to any of those answers, I ask you to go to your doctor and check these questions and check with your medical profession. Yes, you're okay to exercise. First and foremost, that's, that's important. Yeah. Med you know, medical is way more important than anything else. To know how your mind works and the mental states that come out of exercise is a huge achievement in knowing oneself. I think that's important. I think that's something when you are disabled or hindered that you have a lower respect for yourself sometimes. Right. Actually, by being able to do certain things or little exercises, that achievement really brings you up. As you know from my own story, I was, I put in quotations disabled. Uh, I never went for the blue badge. I was never going to put that in. I was never going to kind of call myself that. But it's the truth, you know, I, I couldn't walk further at all. But when I was disabled, I still managed to do my upper body and my core. Okay. So you can adapt around it. I knew how to manage my, my pain. You will find that anyone with their own disability knows themselves better. They always will. And I knew psychologically that it was going to help my own mental state, um, tackling the struggles with my own leg. You know, disabled people will go through dark days, but we know that that feeling, you can try and better yourself to try and make things better for yourself within a safe range of movement. Um, if you're chair bound, still take part. You know, there are chair supported workouts that you can do. You can do it. You can lift like light dumbbells and things like that. So if you are chair bound, please, you know, still take part. So that's really for the like the older generation. Make sure that you're working with specialists. OK, so within the fitness industry and make sure that they're empathetic to your mobility. The PT should want to learn from the individual themselves because the individual themselves are the ones who know what their body can do and how they feel when doing it. Then what the PT needs to do is go away and educate themselves right. on, on it. You know, don't just think that they know their pain. I'll just figure something out. No, go and educate yourself on it. You'll have better rapport with your client. You will you're investing in your own knowledge, you know, as, as a personal trainer. So go and research, go and ask other professionals that you know of and educate yourself on it, you know. You don't want that PT that just beasts you and churns out the same workout for every client. It's, it's not going to be helpful. So if you have got a physical disability, my best advice to you is first get signed off by the doctor that you're okay to. Yeah. Go research and look at reviews of personal trainers. Ask if they've had anyone with that disability previously. Oh, good question. You know, ask them. You can, as a, as a personal trainer, you can only be honest with what you've got. And if any PT lies, that client will know. Of course, yeah. Because they know what they can and can't do. So you'll be found out pretty darn quickly if you lie. Oh God. Well, it, it, the thing is, it's good to know that people still can move. You, you can move. You know your range of, of pain and you know, you know what, what you're able to do. So there's still ways in which people can, can release these endorphins, these dopamine hits and, and get good fitness. Thank you for that. So my final question, Jen, is 
basically for you. But is there any way, I, I know that you are fully booked, you've got no more room for clients, so I'm not going to say that they could work with you. Yeah. <laughs> but do you, have, <laughs> do you have any giveaways that the listeners could do at home, like stretching or anything like that? Because I know you're, you're quite... Okay. So as everyone's main excuse is time. Yes. I'm going to create several workouts called AMRAPs. AMRAPs are as many rounds as possible. Um, bad um, boys, that's what they are. <laughs> bad, bad boys that can be done in a space of time, that get the heart pumping. Um, I like to structure mine so I have two upper body exercises, two lower body exercises and a core element. I will set you a time. Each exercise has an amount of repetitions attached to it. You must complete those and you think, yeah, okay, I got four rounds in. Okay, so next week, can you get four rounds and two more, two of the exercises out of the five done? Week three, oh, is that six rounds that you've managed to do? Because you, if you write it down, you will see your own progression. Yes. Data doesn't lie. It doesn't. And what I find is maybe everybody's not as weird as me, but when I do it and I, I, I achieve and I get more than last, the, the feel good hormones, I'm buzzing. And I might even go so far as to give myself a smiley face sticker or a gold star. And then I reward myself with something. Yeah, reward systems work, work great. You know, most people say, oh, you know, I can, I can now have a chocolate bar. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> It's not a freaking reward. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. <laughs> you make yourself a nice, like, avocado smash on malt toast. Like, that's much better. That's a treat. Yeah. Treating your body with goodness. Yeah. You think, oh, I'm going to go treat myself with a load of dirty, refined sugar. <laughs> get out. Get out of here. Why did you just spend 15 minutes doing that? exactly exactly 15 minutes wouldn't have burnt off the freaking chocolate bar you've just eaten mate <laughs> that's the most upsetting thing you smash out a workout and then you go and eat a load of shit and it's 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 detrimental because yeah. you haven't even lost that much so do watch your reward system yeah i like the gold star i like in your workout diary big tick grade yourself a a star yeah it's just sad little things like that. It's like highlighting when I've completed something. That, it fills me with joy. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But do be mindful of that because doing a good workout, then rewarding yourself with something that isn't nutritionally good will have a negative impact on you mentally. And ultimately, that is what we're talking about today. Yeah. And then you're going to be stuck in a dirty cycle, aren't you? Exactly. And this is about breaking those dirty cycles and creating new habits. 66 days, that's all you need to do, 66 days. 66 days, so what's that for? To build a yeah. new habit. Oh, right, right. Yeah, because people say it's 21 days. Well, trust me, I've tried. That does not work. 21 days is not The exercise is longer. <laughs> It's true that, and I mean, like, I, I can't remember, maybe some people will remember, but when I did this and, and it was all about mental health and I was like, no weeds, no cocaine, no drugs, no, no drink and everything. And my rewards would feed into my goals. So it would be like, oh, wow, you've done that this week. So you can have a course. You can buy this 9.99 online course where you can learn about stuff or, oh, you've done this. So I would go and buy myself a book, a self-improvement book. It's all about thinking of things that will improve your life. I mean, it's nice to say, oh yeah, I'm gonna go and get myself a Chinese takeaway because I've worked really hard this month, but all the time is not a good plan. You can have your Chinese takeaway if you have thought about the amount of calories you've eaten through the week. Ah, good, I like that. So there's nutrition, whole other conversation, mate. <laughs> whole other world of conversation. Be here for hours with you. <laughs> Yeah, we, we would be here for hours. <laughs> You've got so much knowledge. <laughs>
Right, well, Jen, thank you so much. That was like, like I said, you you are just an inspiration. And like that discipline, what you said about your parents, like I know for me, my parent, well, my dad was too, was too far the other way. There was no encouragement. There was no wow duns. It was always, you know, you've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. And I think like for me so the reason why i'm not disciplined is because i'm like fuck you i'm free now i can do what i want you know and it's about finding that balance so to hear from you and i think like for all the parents out there who've got young children that's something to really take away is that if you if you instill sort of good discipline and and good structures in your children then this is where they this is where they end up yeah i um yeah my whole life it's down to my folks yeah you know I was I was blessed with the balance you know yeah they worked me hard but they let me live my life I still enjoyed my childhood you know I still did the things I wanted to do I still rebelled I still did all of those childhood things but ultimately I knew from a young age that until I hit 18 21 they were structuring my life and then I could make my own choices off the back of that you know what your parents teach you doesn't need to be something that you carry on for the future and if you want to carry on for the future because you see it as a positive do it if you see it as it was a negative there is no need for you to carry that onto your next generation you can let it go yeah. It's not yours. Yeah. It, it could be something from your parents and you don't need to. When you're, I'd say 18, 21, you can really start to see that I am becoming my own. I know what yeah. I like. I know what I can do. I know what is right and wrong. Morally, I know who I am. Now I will shape myself. Exactly. Exactly. And then that. you go make them proud. That's what you go do. Exactly. Go make them proud. Love it. And yourself. Make yourself proud. Yeah. I'll, I'll always have self-pride, you know. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us today. I think I am going to have to invite you back to do us when we do um, a little bit on discipline because, I, you know, I, I think it's integral to, to people. And you are perfect for the job. <laughs> Very kind. Thank you. Thank you for your time. No problem. Take care, Jen. So there it is. What an inspiration that girl is. I am so grateful to Jen for joining us today and having the courage to share her story. Thank you so much. I will be uploading the link to Jen's AMRAP sessions onto the Facebook page. And I'm also going to be doing my own little AMRAP challenge, um, which I shall let you all have the details for on Monday, should you wish to join me and try to beat your own PBs whilst racing self-esteem and fitness levels. But next show is going to be our very first masterclass. Yes, that's right. I think after today's show where Jen has highlighted the importance of setting goals, I thought I'd share with you how you can construct a goal and then lay out the steps to achieve whatever it is that you desire. So make sure you have your pen and pad ready, as you may wish to take some notes. But there will also be a workbook available for you to download, print and to keep. So you can use that for as many goals as you wish. So I'm really excited to share that with you. But for now, take care, everybody. Stay safe, stay well. And I'll see you all again on Saturday, the 11th of September for our very first masterclass, Setting Goals. You've been listening to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. My name's Sarah and I've been your host. This podcast is dedicated to raising awareness for mental health whilst helping to end this stigma.